Joining us on the line is Kenny Albert, legendary sports broadcaster. He's also the author of A Mic for All Seasons, my three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and the Olympics. Kenny, thank you for joining us. We don't get to talk that much hockey here on Iron Sports, but I'm a huge hockey guy like you are. Going into last season, it's easy to say, okay, you know, we're going to see the Boston Bruins, the Colorado Avalanche, and the Stanley Cup. Last year, got the Florida Panthers and Vegas Knights. These are two good teams, but nobody was picking them to, to win it all or go to the Stanley Cup. Who's your teams this year that people aren't talking about right now that you could see meeting in the Stanley Cup Finals? Wow. Well, I think it's a little bit too early, uh, you know, to look ahead to the Stanley Cup Final, but there are a lot of good teams, you know, in the Eastern Conference and the Metropolitan Division. You have to look at the, the Rangers, the Devils, the Carolina Hurricanes, um, you know, Pittsburgh, reloaded with the acquisition of Eric Carlson. Um, Detroit's off to a great start of the Atlantic. Uh, Boston finally lost their first game. Toronto, you figure one of these years, uh, they're going to advance further in the playoffs. Out West, some of the teams you mentioned, Colorado and Vegas and Dallas, uh, Vancouver's off to a good start. So uh, you're right, not many people expected the Florida Panthers uh, to get to the cup final last year, although they did win the President's Trophy the year before. And Vegas went on an incredible run. Uh, their owner, Bill Foley, uh, won the franchise. Uh, before they played their first game back in 2018, he said playoffs in three years, Stanley Cup in six. Well, they wound up making it to the Stanley Cup final in their first year and winning it in their sixth <laughs> year. So quite a remarkable story. Hey, I won't be too mad if Toronto doesn't uh, get over that hump. Wouldn't bother me too bad. So, Kenny, you've been doing Rangers play-by-play for almost 30 years on the radio. And if you look online, you say that baseball for you is the hardest to commentate on. For me, hockey on the radio is easily the hardest. Why is it that you, you know, just so naturally good at hockey, which to me seems, you know, impossible to describe? And what's the, uh, you know, the hard part about baseball? Well, to me, hockey is the easiest. It's like riding a bike. The, the puck's in action for 60 minutes. You're constantly calling the action, especially on the radio. On TV, you have a little more time to lay out and, and, allow your color analysts to come in uh, because the viewers can see what's going on. On hockey radio, you have to be so descriptive. Um, basketball, to me, is similar to hockey, although it's slower. There are more stoppages, fouls, balls out of bounds, et cetera, but you're calling the action for 48 minutes. Football is the most rhythmic. It's one play and then 20 or 25 seconds, another play and then 20 or 25 seconds. To me personally, baseball is the most challenging because of all the downtime between pitches and between batters, although it's sped up over the last year with the introduction of the pitch clock. But the ball's only in action for 8 to 12 minutes every baseball game. So hopefully you have a good analyst who can uh, fill in some of that downtime with, with, with stories and anecdotes. Uh, but to me, hockey's definitely the easiest, despite the, despite the speed of the game, the line changes, and, the, and the, some of the names that might take a little while to get used to. Yeah, some of those names are definitely difficult. Ira, what do you have for Kenny? So, Kenny, you're the fourth all-time uh, games that you broadcast with all the – with anybody who's broadcast all four sports. You've done 476 NFL games, 412 NHL network games, but I, and 401 Major League Baseball games. But I think you're now the most famous for two days ago that Mad Dog had retired from uh, his radio show but came back to interview you on the radio show. So that's pretty impressive that you're going to be the only broadcaster to ever bring, bring Mad Dog back from retirement. <laughs> Well, it's funny, uh, we, that interview was set up a couple of weeks ago, and then the situation with, with Mad Dog saying he would retire if the Diamondbacks beat the Phillies, and uh, he did come in that next day to do the show, and we had a great chat for about an hour uh, talking about my new book and um, you know, 
stories from throughout the career, but I guess that's another notch on the belt, right? Uh, bring, helping bring Mad Dog Russo out of retirement. Yes, we've had on our show, we've had Doc Embrick, who you would talk about in the book throughout, uh, and also Andrew Catalog, who's been on CBS, who, who does CBS Sports Broadcasting. So, But I know that Doc was great. It's, it's your life in many ways, Doc, because you have to. You started out in small towns and broadcasting hockey and working up and you know doing so many different sports. So it's pretty cool to have both you and him have an interview before. Well, Doc's one of the best of all time. I refer to him as the Vince Scully of hockey. He had a tremendous career. Uh, with so many different networks, he's a he's a good friend, and I actually saw him uh, last week for the first time in about four years uh, since before the pandemic. He came out to the morning skate in Detroit uh, to visit with Eddie Olchek and Brian Boucher and I uh, before the Red Wings uh, Penguins broadcast a week ago Wednesday. Wow! And so, well, you know, you grew up with a famous father who was one of the legendary broadcasters of all time. And you talk in your book about all the experiences and all the athletes you got to meet and all the games you went to. Uh, that must have been such a cool experience to grow up with a father like Marv Albert. It really was. I mean, I didn't know any different. That, that was how it was. But um, it was so much fun to be able to tag along to Knicks games, Rangers games, NFL games, boxing matches, uh, the WNBC studios in New York, and just learn by osmosis. Watch uh, the preparation and the amount of time that it took to prepare uh, for each and every broadcast, when I was old enough, I would start to keep stats for him um, at various sports. And just to learn the, the communication, the synergy that takes place between the play-by-play broadcaster and the color analyst, as well as the announcers and the production truck, um, probably learned more than I could have learned in any classroom. Not to, not to uh, you know, put down any teachers. I had some great ones. But just getting the practical experience and sitting in those broadcast booths uh, was so valuable. How did you become a Vancouver Canucks fan? And then you mentioned in the book that you always were, went to a, a game, were going down to a game, and you got stuck in a hotel and got to talk to the coach and the players for a long time. But as you know, you're you're growing up, you're growing up with the Rangers and everything like that, and you become a Canucks fan. Right. Not quite sure how that happened. I was about five or six <laughs> years old and started rooting for the Canucks, and I bought the jersey. And you know, I couldn't see many of the games growing up in New York. They were playing out on the West Coast, and I would I would. Uh, wake up in the middle of the night and turn on 10-10 wins to hear the scores and wouldn't see the box scores until two days later uh, when they played on the West Coast and uh, always enjoyed going to Canucks games when they played in the New York area, kept scrapbooks and um, cut out all the box scores, so it was a lot of fun. I loved reading about your early career in terms of your start. I mean, it isn't like you just said, oh, I'm Marv Albert's son, just give me a job. You you were broadcasting in high school for Cox Cable. You went to NYU and was doing every sport, you know, going from place to place, doing, you know, filling in. It was your schedule was like what it is today, really. But it was fun to just see how you went up and, like, got, you know, when something opened up, you know, took advantage. Being in New York and college was a great chance because you got to work for so many different teams. Right, tried to do as much as I could, and it was a tremendous opportunity when Cox Cable – happened to show up at my school to film a girls' basketball game. I was there to cover it for the newspaper, and they clipped a, a microphone on my shirt, and I announced that game and then uh, worked for Cox for the next two and a half to three years. And it was such invaluable experience, just getting the reps, calling games, bringing friends along as color analysts. And then when I was hired by the Baltimore Skipjacks, the minor league hockey team, the Washington Capitals affiliate at the time, um, just to get the reps again, doing 80 games a year, uh, riding the bus, six, eight, ten-hour bus rides, and doing everything else, you know, chipping in in the office, whether it was public relations, sales, marketing, picking up a player at the airport, 
just learned so much about how a sports organization runs during those two years in Baltimore. That's exactly what Doc Emmerich said when he was uh, broadcasting minor league hockey. He said it was the greatest time. He said he had to do absolutely everything. He felt like he had to sell the tickets in order to keep his job and do those things. So that was fun. And you worked um, with uh, you were on your team with Queenville and Trotz, two of the three biggest, uh, largest winners in all of hockey. So it was a pretty fun team, a great team, and that type of experience we'll never forget. Right. Uh, Joel Quenville was a veteran defenseman who had played about a decade in the NHL. Uh, Washington traded. Uh, for Quenville from Hartford. They needed some depth on the blue line, and he was sent down to the Skipjack, spent about 40 games with us. And Barry Trotz was our assistant coach uh, and my road roommate. Uh, to save money, they had the radio guy and the assistant coach room together. So I uh, learned so much about hockey from uh, both of those gentlemen. And as it turns out, like you said, three decades later, they're the second and third winningest head coaches in NHL history. I love the story in the book you had, and uh, you have so many of them, is that when you were broadcasting for the Washington Capitals and working for them in hockey, you actually were traded. <laughs> you, you chose, you wanted to go to broadcast Ranger games, but they had to actually work a trade out for you in order to go broadcast that game. So you're one of the few announcers that actually was traded. Right. I was uh, working in Washington and loved it down there. really enjoyed the people that I was working with and for and the opportunity came about uh, to move to New York and, and handle Rangers radio. And I still had some time left in my contract. So they worked out a trade, as you mentioned, uh, for control room time, whenever the Capitals and Bullets came up to play in New York, uh, HTS did not get charged for X number of years. So, um, you know, Al Michaels back in the day, he was traded for some uh, old cartoons in the deal between ABC and NBC. <laughs> right. I was actually traded for, uh, control room access. So you broadcast, I think you said in your book, 1,500 Rangers games, um, Just and also broadcasting at MSG for hockey. It's just a, what an arena, the world's most famous arena. It's been great and exciting through all these times in terms of, of you know just being at the Garden and doing those games. Yeah, it really is. There's no place like the Garden when you walk in and look up at the iconic ceiling. You know, so many great events have taken place there through the years, and it really never gets old having the opportunity to work Rangers radio with Dave Maloney and about 15 Knicks games a year with Walt Clyde Frazier, uh, working my first Knicks game this year, regular season a week from Friday in Milwaukee. So, um, you know, really fortunate to be involved in, in all four of the major sports, heading to Green Bay for a football game this weekend, right. uh, hockey last night, and a basketball game next Friday, and a couple of other hockey games in between. That's amazing. You've done everything. You know, it's amazing. I think you've worked for every single network. And that Doc said the same thing. He's versus OLN, NBC, Turner, um, everything in terms of being involved because the hockey rights keep getting switched around. And then you worked at the Olympics. So you really had from the, from the local in terms of the Rangers, but also the national working for Fox and all the other sports, other networks and the Olympics. Right. It's been 30 years at Fox, 30th season doing football. Uh, we had hockey at Fox back from 95 through 99. Baseball at Fox since 96, and uh, like you said, with the hockey rights moving around, did a couple of games for ESPN2 back in the 90s, OLN versus Fox, NBC, and now TNT. So, and just back to the football, you're 26 years old and you got an interview for the Fox for the football because when they took over the, the from CBS, they took over the broadcasting rights and a producer at Fox, you were broadcasting a lacrosse game and heard you on the lacrosse game and then thought that you might be good to broadcast have an NFL football. So what a great way to get a start in that. That's pretty cool. Right. That was, that was part of the reason why I wound up with the initial audition. George Krieger was one of the Fox executives and his son, was a big lacrosse fan, and 
uh, he asked Jody Shapiro at Home Team Sports for some lacrosse tapes. I happened to be working one of those games. Um, had a little bit of football experience with Cox Cable and Staten Island Cable a couple of years prior, and they brought a lot of uh, a bunch of young broadcasters out for an audition in L.A. And Fox hired Pat Summerall and John Madden, greatest team of all time, as the number one crew, Dick Stockton and Matt Millen on the second crew. And then uh, they wound up hiring uh, Joe Buck, Kevin Harlan, Tom Brenneman, and uh, I was the other member of that group. We were all really in the right place at the right time. Rupert Murdoch made this crazy bid for the NFC package, and I was 26, Joe was 25. Uh, He's gone on to have a Hall of Fame career now at ESPN. Kevin Harlan, tremendous at CBS and TNT. Tom Brenneman, 25-plus years, great career at Fox. So uh, hard to believe it's been 30 years and closing in on, I guess, 500 games next season, but... Um, have had some great partners, analysts, uh, producers, directors, and it's really a team effort. You know, you spend as much time with, with your crew as you do your family during the football season from Friday morning through Sunday evening. So uh, just so fortunate to work with some great people through the years. Yeah, the story you had about meeting, coming to a room with Mike Dicka, coming late when he was sitting in the room was hilarious. Yeah, that was uh, – quite the trip over a 24-mile bridge accidentally in New Orleans. And uh, Coach Dicka was waiting for us. And when we finally arrived, his line was, John Madden wouldn't be late. But he stayed there, talked to us, and uh, that was certainly one of the memorable stories from the 30 years at Fox. And you talk about your um, sports family, but your real family, your wife, Barbara, your daughters, Amanda, Sydney. I mean, the fact is that they're amazing in terms of setting, you know, they all love sports and, and just your wife's involvement and service. I mean, I don't know how you do your travel plans. It's impossible, but she is a great asset through the book. It talks about that. And your two daughters now are involved in sports. So it's pretty cool to have your whole family, you know, following and, you know, just being involved in the whole sports uh, landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, They're so great about it. My schedule, crazy, wacky schedule. I grew up around it with my father, you know, not being home a lot on weekends and at nights and similar uh, with my schedule. But uh, they are big sports fans. My my daughter works at the NHL. Amanda, she's a video editor and producer. She's behind the scenes in the sports world. And my wife couldn't be uh, better about understanding the schedule. And, um, you know, they, they meet me on the road sometimes and have taken some pretty cool trips. So, uh, there are certainly benefits to it as well. You know, anybody, uh, your book is just, it just came out, uh, all, Mike, for all seasons, and anybody who's interested in getting into broadcasting, it's probably, it's like a, a tutorial in terms of how to do it, because you spend chapters after chapters about how to get prepared and how you prepare, because here you're not just broadcasting, you know, the Dodger games, 162 games a year. You are going from, from different sports, and you talk about your preparation and, and how you, you know, just go in terms of studies. It's just amazing in terms of, it's not like you just show up at a game and broadcast the work that you put in beforehand to be ready with all the little tidbits that you do for a game. Right. There's a lot of time that goes into it, a lot of work. I have a checklist that I go through every week uh, before each and every broadcast, and I start about a week before a particular game, a lot of reading and watching prior games and preparing charts and going through statistics and talking to players and coaches, going to practices and press conferences. So a lot of work and travel involved, but it's fun. Uh, Never feel like I'm actually going to work, so – uh, very fortunate about that as well. You know, the one thing you mentioned in your book is between broadcasting the local, say you're broadcasting a game on an MSC network for the Rangers and then the national game and how you have to be aware that you said you had to be aware that your fans are the local or just local and you don't want to be more homer, but it is, it must be difficult to go back from between the national and the local back and forth a lot. 
I'm kind of used to it by this point, and the only sport in which that really takes place for me is hockey because basketball, I'm only working MSG games. Football and baseball, they're all national games. Hockey, I am doing Rangers radio and then the national games on TNT. So when the Rangers play in those games, whether it's TNT now or NBC back in the day, do have to remind myself, uh, you know, that it's a little different than a local broadcast for sure. And I know Mad Dog spent, I think, a half an hour interviewing you about the travel. He was obsessed with it. But it is pretty amazing. In, in October, you gave things in your book about in October 19th. You called 19 days of boxing, NFL, MLB playoff, NHL, NBA. And like he said, it's, it's you're on the road, I think, with like 150 days out of the year in terms of or you broadcast 150 games out of the year. And it's just, you know, your records are 12 playoff games in 15 days. In 2022, you had a 12 day trip in four different time zones. It's pretty cool that you were able to you know jump around and go to these places and you've never one of the biggest things you've never missed a game because of travel which is crazy no i never have uh, missed one due to a sore throat back in 96 or 97 but that was it um you know there is some crazy travel and um i probably memorized the flight schedules of most of the airlines but uh also in the book talked about some you know six hour car rides that i've had to take due to weather or flight cancellations but always seem to be able to get there and you've done, you did the double, the Knicks during the day, a football game at night or something, or in reverse, something like that. So that was fun to do two games in one day, two different sports in a day, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. I've had a couple of those instances with either a football game in the afternoon, hockey at night, or a basketball hockey doubleheader. Um, definitely among the, the memorable days uh, that I've worked when, when two games in one day. When I was in the hockey bubble in Edmonton, um, actually, on two occasions, believe it or not, worked three games in one day, three NHL playoff games, which is kind of crazy when I think back. But uh, that was certainly a unique time in all of our lives. Wow. And I, your book, you know, certainly you've seen everything. I can't believe in the book you wrote, you said you have never seen a no-hitter. For all the – every sport you've been, you've never even witnessed a no-hitter as a fan, but you mentioned some of your most – you know, you have a list of some of your most memorable games that you've attended. Well, I did come close. I was assigned to a game, as I wrote in the book, um, involving the Mariners and White Sox and wound up switching uh, due to a Rangers playoff series against Ottawa. And ironically, in that game, uh, Philip Umber of the White Sox pitched the perfect game. So uh, Dave Sims is on the call. Uh, missed that one. That, that was probably the closest I'd come, but wound up switching off that game uh, earlier in the week. And you mentioned in your book, you were at Ripken's 21-30, the Game 7 Jackie's Red Sox, and the Game 7 Rangers Vancouver. So a a great list of your most memorable games. Well, the 94 Stanley Cup Final, you know, certainly towards the top of my list, calling that for NHL radio, Rangers and Canucks. And uh, one of the games I got asked about the most is the Bautista bat flip, the home run and bat flip in 2015. And, uh, the Stanley Cup final uh, on radio for many years, and then on NBC a couple of years ago, TNT last year. So many memorable football games that I write about in the book as well. So fun to reminisce. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Steelers fan, and you were at the game when Cowher took the, the uh, I guess, the printout, <laughs> the printout of, the, of one of the formation or something and shoved it in the referee's pocket as he ran out. And you were able to – I remember watching that game, and you just mentioning it right when it happened. And it was pretty cool. That, that yeah, I was at that one as well. That was back in 1995, the Steelers and Vikings. Gordon McCarter was the referee uh, who had that uh, Polaroid shoved into his, his shirt pocket by Bill Cowher. 
That's amazing. And one last question is about your favorite stadiums. Now, you listed your stadiums. We just had a, a writer from The Athletic who's been – I've been to 25 of the NFL stadiums and almost all the NBA uh, arenas. Uh, and he ranked – you know, well, he, there was a big ranking athletic, what the best stadiums are. They used all the athletic writers. But you, you have some interesting – you have some of the old-time stadiums like Yankee Stadium, Wrigley Field, Red Sox. But then you have some of the newer stadiums in your list of favorite stadiums. Right. I, I really enjoy the traditional ballparks and stadiums, Lambeau Field, Wrigley, Fenway Park, Soldier Field. But uh, a lot of the newer ones are really nice in football, uh, Minnesota, Vegas, Dallas, Atlanta. Uh, a number of the new hockey arenas made it out to the Golden State Warriors new arena last year. So oftentimes I judge it by the location of the broadcast booth. Uh, for the most part, they're in good spots. Uh, this week heading to Green Bay, which is which is certainly one of my favorites. Well, Kenny, I know you're super busy. I mean, your schedule's amazing. I'm so fortunate to have you on Iron Sports, but I encourage everybody. I read it, the book last night and today. It was amazing. A mic for all seasons. It's a tremendous book, and I encourage you to go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, pick it up at your stores or whatever. So, but, Kenny, thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ira. It was a lot of fun. Uh, appreciate you reading the book, and uh, look forward to joining you again in the future.